You are listening to Tokik Tv News number 96, recorded for Monday, May the 6th, 2013. You are listening to the tech-only Hacker Public Radio edition. To get the full podcast, including political, commentary, and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeek2me.us. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeek2me.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in DeepGeek, TalkGeek to me. This is Dan Washko, and now the Tech Roundup. From TorrentFreak.com by Andy, Pirate Bay founder on trial next month facing societal damage claims. Earlier this month, Prosecutor Henry Oland of the International Public Prosecution Office in Stockholm announced that Godfrey Svartholm had been charged with several hacking-related offenses, including serious fraud, attempted aggravated fraud, and aiding attempted aggravated fraud. The public heard of these charges via a press statement on April 16th, but Godfrey discovered the news only after watching TV in his Mayerfred prison cell later that day. According to Computer Sweden, Gottfried and his alleged accomplices will now go on trial starting May 20th. At this stage, it appears that Gottfried will plead not guilty to what is emerging as a sophisticated hack between January 2010 and April 2012 of Logica, a Swedish IT company working with local tax authorities. Much of the prosecution's evidence was obtained from a computer seized from Gottfried. The Pirate Bay co-founder says that the information was placed there via the Internet, but he won't name the culprit out of fear of reprisals. According to the indictment, Gottfried had an accomplices first gained access to an FTP server on which scripts were run to obtain such things as password lists. These were subsequently cracked, and the information was used to gain access to more systems. It is claimed that the attackers took steps to hide their identities by using com- compromised wireless networks and relay servers around the world. According to authorities, around 16 gigabytes of confidential data was copied by the hackers and the transfer of such a large amount of data was one of the factors that led to their discovery. But it's the nature of the data and the way it's being presented to the media by Swedish authorities that is causing concern for Godfrey's mother, Christina Swartholm. Quote, the prosecutor has claimed in the media that the hacking of Logica and the thus the access to information emanating from the Swedish tax authorities has caused worries among people who live with protected identities. Some of them have even felt compelled to move from one place to another, according to the prosecutor, Christina told Torin Freak. Quote, I have recently been approached by people who have told me that this simply can't be true. Personally, I don't know much about how the system works, but since one of these persons has protected identity, him or herself, I find it less plausible that I am totally misinformed, end quote. Christina says that her sources report that there's no possibility that obtaining information from the attacks authorities would be harmful to protected individuals in the way the prosecutor has claimed, since their identities are protected both within and outside the system. Quote, what was hacked and published on the Internet were so-called personal numbers, not to be mixed up with Social Security numbers, numbers that are public in themselves. Some of them did belong to people that were protected, and other numbers did not. Anyhow, the numbers couldn't be used for finding out the identities and whereabouts of anyone. End quote. 
Christina believes that if this scenario is true, the bleak picture now being painted by authorities is the cause of anxiety among people. She adds that one of the companies involved reported to the police that the publicity being given to the data breach could be more harmful than the hacking itself. Quote, My question is why the prosecutor wants to give this picture of severe damage caused to individuals, a picture quite different from what my sources have told me. Unfortunately, it is well in line with what was communicated to Cambodian authorities last year when the Swedish prosecutor asked for their help to pick up Gottfried, end quote. Christina notes. These documents haven't become public until now. They show that the Swedish authorities presented daunting facts to Cambodia about Gottfried. No wonder that they placed him on their anti-terrorist locals in Phnom Phen. However, I can't see much of that information reflected in the prosecution presented two weeks ago. Finally, as further reading, researchers at Lund University, Sweden, have been commenting on the hacks and subsequent prosecution. Marcin de Kamenensky asks what lessons can be learned, and Hacken Hayden asks whether the $4,200 Godfrey is alleged to have transferred from a Danish bank account amounts to aggravated fraud and abusing the public trust. From TornFreak.com by Andy, dated April 29th. MPAA executive tampered with IFPI evidence in Internet piracy case. More than five years ago, an investigation was launched into Angel Falls, a system of servers used by the so-called wares scene for storing and distributing copyright content. Following an undercover investigation in 2007, rights holders filed an official complaint, and two months later the site was raided by authorities in Alulu, Finland. A total of 15 servers were discovered containing a range of copyrighted materials including music, movies, TV shows, video games, and software. Represented by anti-piracy group CIAPC, known locally as TTVK, rights holders said that the individuals running the Angel Falls top site had caused damages to their businesses totaling 6 million euros. The developing copyright case was to be the largest in Finland's history. Earlier this month, the trial concluded. Four men were found guilty and two were cleared, per our earlier report. However, according to Herkeko Heitinen, a defense lawyer in the case from the Tour Legal firm, the case has somewhat interesting feature. During the trial, an IFPI investigator was called upon as a witness, but during his testimony, something unusual came to light. Quote, after his presentation, the defense counsels pointed out how the information shown on the video of his investigations did not match with the printed log files, Heintonen informs Torrent Freak. The video, a screencast of the investigation, showed a particular username accessing an Angel Falls FTP server. However, the corresponding text log for the same event showed a completely different username. Quote, when the IFPI investigator was asked about this, he acknowledged that the names did not match. He said that the Finnish anti-piracy people in the IFPI had collected the information together, but there was also an MPAA executive in the room while the evidence gathering took place, end quote, Heitinen explains. The IFPI investigator was then asked to reveal the name of the MPA executive. He declined, but did offer to an explanation for the inconsistencies in the evidence. In an apparent attempt to hide the identity of one of their spies, the MPAA executive edited the evidence gathered during the session. Quote, the IFPI investigator handed over the evidence material to the MPAA senior executive, who then changed the text file before the anti-piracy organization handed over the evidence to the Finnish police, end quote, Heitman says. No one from the MPAA informed the defense that the edits had been made and the tampering was revealed at the worst possible time during the trial. This resulted in the prosecutor ordering a police investigation into the changes that had been made. 
Quote, police then proceeded by comparing the work copy that the IFPI investigator produced with the material that the police and the defending counsels had received. Police found out that the material had differences in over 10 files, end quote, Heightenen reveals. Considering the effort that had gone into the case, the outcome was somewhat of a disappointment. Two men were completely cleared and four who were found guilty escaped with suspended jail sentences. The 6 million euros in damages claimed by the rights holders was reduced to only 45,000 euros. The fate of the MPAA investigator is unclear, but since his username was revealed in court, it seems likely that if he used the same one on other sites, that will no longer be possible. From EFF.org, dated May 1st, by Daniel Nazer. EFF to Federal Judge. Don't let the DMCA be a tool for censorship. Together with the Digital Media Law Project, we filed an amicus brief today in federal court in Massachusetts. We are urging the court to ensure that the Digital Millennium Copyright Act provides protection for victims of abusive takedown notices, specifically that the DMCA requires copyright owners to consider fair use before sending takedowns. The takedown procedure of the DMCA provides a quick, cheap, extrajudicial way to get speech removed from the Internet. As we've written many, many times before, this makes it a tempting tool for those who wish to remove speech they happen to dislike. To prevent such abuse, Section 512F of the DMCA provides victims of wrongful takedowns with a remedy, allowing them to file a lawsuit for misrepresentation under the DMCA. This latest Section 512F case out of Massachusetts has a curious history. It began as an online battle between two bloggers, Dula Gina Crossley Corcoran and OBGYN Dr. Amy Tutier about the safety of home birth. After an exchange of critical posts, Crossley Corcoran posted a photo of herself making a well-known finger-related gesture to Tutier and writing, I don't want to leave you without something you can take back to your blog and obsess over, so here's a picture of me. Tutier responded with a post of her own that included the photo with some commentary. The photo is now removed from this post, a clear case of fair use. Crossley Corcoran then sent a DMCA takedown notice of the host of Tutier's blog alleging copyright infringement of the finger photo. After Tutier changed hosts, Crossley Corcoran sent another takedown notice to the new host. According to Tutier, the second notice was sent after Crossley Corcoran's attorney admitted that there was no valid copyright claim. And on her blog, Crossley Corcoran wrote that she would be prepared to settle the matter if Tutier would agree to stop personally attacking me. As others have concluded, the chain of events suggested that Crossley Corcoran was using the DMCA to silence a critic. Tutier responded by filing a federal lawsuit in Massachusetts asserting a DMCA Section 512F claim. On its own initiative, the court issued an order to show cause, suggesting that it seriously questions whether Tutier had stated a viable Section 512F claim. The core of the court's concern is that a fair use is an affirmative defense. The judge questioned whether the DMCA requires the sender of a takedown notice to consider fair use. This is an important question. If the DMCA did not require copyright owners to consider fair use, it would be an open invitation for private censorship. For example, an author could send a takedown notice to remove a critical book review based on just a few quoted words. Fortunately, other courts that have considered this issue have found that the DMCA does require consideration of fair use. For example, in Lens v. Universal, when EFF represents the plaintiff, the court ruled that content owners must consider fair use before sending takedowns. The case of Tutier v. Crossley Corcoran is not about the relative merits of the blogger's views on childbirth. Rather, 
It is about the alleged misuse of the DMCA to silence a critic. The case of Tunier versus Crossley Corcoran is not about the relative merits of these bloggers' views about childbirth. Rather, it is about the alleged misuse of the DMCA to silence a critic and the crucial legal issues of whether the DMCA requires senders of takedown notices to consider fair use. Today we urge the court to reach the right result and ensure that DMCA protects free expression. From EFF.org, dated April 29th, by Katitza Rodriguez and Mara Sutton. What is TPP? Biggest global threat to the Internet since ACTA. The United States and 10 governments from around the Pacific are meeting yet again to hash out the secret Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, TPP, on May 15th to the 24th in Lima, Peru. The TPP is one of the worst global threats to the Internet since ACTA. Since the negotiations have been secretive from the beginning, we mainly know what is in its current version of this trade agreement because of a leaked draft PDF from the February 2011. Based upon that text, some other leaked notes, and the undemocratic nature of the entire process, we have every reason to be alarmed about the copyright enforcement provisions contained in this multinational trade deal. The TPP is likely to export some of the worst features of U.S. copyright law to Pacific Rim countries, a broad ban on breaking digital locks on devices and creative works, even for legal purposes, a minimum copyright term of the lifetime of the creator plus 70 years, the current international norm is a lifetime plus 50 years, privatization of enforcement for copyright infringement, ruinous statutory damages with no proof of actual harm, and government seizures of computers and equipment involved in alleged infringement. Moreover, the TPP is worse than U.S. copyright rules. It does not export the many balances and exceptions that favor the public interest and act as safety valves in limiting rights holders' protection. Adding insult to injury, the TPP's temporary copies provision will likely create chilling effects on how people with and companies behave online and their basic ability to use and create on the web. The stated goal of the TPP is to unite the Pacific Rim countries by harmonizing tariffs and trade rules between them, but in reality it is much more than that. The intellectual property chapter in this massive trade agreement will likely force changes to copyright and patent rules in each of the signatory countries. Accepting these new rules will not just rewrite, in a, rewrite national laws, but will also restrict the possibility for countries to introduce more balanced copyright laws in the future. This strategy may end up harming other countries' more proportionate laws, such as Chile, where a judicial order is required for ISPs to be held liable for copyright infringement and takedown content. Such systems better protect users and intermediaries from disproportionate or censorship-like driven takedowns. If the final TPP text forces countries to adopt the privatized notice and takedown regime, this could imply the end of the Chilean system. It would also undermine Canada's notice and notice regime. The content industry can and will continue to buy and lie to get their way to get laws that protect their interests, and what they want more than anything is for us to remain passively ignorant. They did it with SOPA, ACTA, and now it's TPP. It's going to be a challenge to defeat these policies, but we can do it. The TPP is slated for the conclusion this October, but our goal is to get the worst of these copyright provisions out of it. The way to fight back is to show that we will not put up with this, to demand an open, transparent process that allows everyone, including experts from civil societies, to analyze questions and probe any initiatives to regulate the Internet. This secrecy must be stopped once and for all. Take this action and join over 26,000 people to send a message to your elected representatives. Let's call on Congress to demand for the immediate release of the text and the TPP. 
and make this process become democratic and transparent once and for all. And there's a uh, take action button that you can link to that's uh, linked to in the show notes uh, on the website. Below is our infographic highlighting the most problematic aspects of TPP. Please spread the word about how this agreement will impact you and your country. Right-click and save the image for the PNG file, or you can download the PDF version below. This is referring to their website. Remix it, build upon it, and get the word out. Let's protect and defend the Internet from the secret trade deal. So uh, to get that information and the, the graphics and to sign the proposal, head on over to the EFF.org website that's linked to in the show notes. From HiawathaWebServer.org, dated April 15th by Hugo Lesenick. Hiawatha 9.1 has been released. This brings two interesting new security features. Cipher Suite selection based on protocol. A while ago, a vulnerability called Beast was discovered in CBC ciphers in TLS 1.0. Many experts advised to use RC4 instead. However, a vulnerability was recently also discovered in RC4. The best solution is to switch to TLS 1.1 with CBC ciphers, but that will cause problems for many users because Firefox still doesn't support TLS 1.1, and in Opera and Internet Explorer, support for TLS 1.1 is disabled by default. What to do then? Many believe that using RC4 is still the best choice when using TLS 1.0. However, Using RC4 gives lower security to TLS 1.1 and TLS 1.2 users than while using CBC ciphers. But using CBC ciphers makes TLS 1.0 users vulnerable for the beast attack. Hiawatha has the best answer thanks to Polar SSL. Hiawatha will use RC4 and SSL 3.0 and TLS 1.0 CBC ciphers for TLS 1.1 and GCM or CBC ciphers for TLS 1.2. As far as I know, no other SSL library and therefore no other web server can offer this solution. Protection against uploaded malware. Via the new file hashes option, you can specify a list of files and the hash of their contents. Before serving a file, Hiawatha checks that hash of that file with the one in the list. If the hash doesn't match or the file is not listed, access is denied. This prevents against unauthorized file changing or uploading. Newsflash, this just in. The Debian project proudly announces the release of Debian 7.0, codenamed Wheezy. This new version of Debian includes various interesting features such as multi-arch support, several specific tools to deploy private clouds, an improved installer, and a complete set of multimedia codecs and front ends which remove the need for third-party repositories. The installation process has been greatly improved. Debian can now be installed using software speech, above all by visually impaired people who do not use a Braille device. And also, the release features more than 36,000 ready-to-use software packages, built from nearly 17,500 source packages. Staffed and produced by the TGTM News Team, editorial selection by Deep Geek, views of the story authors reflect their own opinions and not necessarily those of TGTM News. News from MaggieMcNeil.wordpress.com, InTheseTimes.com, and HiawathaWebServer.org, used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org, used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution license. 
newsfromdemocracynow.org and peoplesworld.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is dgtgtm, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.